Welcome back to your tech report. Welcome back to your tech report. He is Mitchell Whitfield. I am Marco Flatlow. Thank you for being here. You can follow along all our social media. It is at your tech report. You know, Mitchell, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, etc. Oh, I know them all. I got yeah. your name right this time, which is an improvement. You know, our, thank our you. It's only been, you know, how many decades we've worked together. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I know. It's great. Yeah. No, no, no. No, nothing condescending there whatsoever. Um, <laughs> uh, we're big fans of Apple. Um, I yes. had my order in for the new MacBook Pro the second it was announced last week. Uh, but someone who's had their hands on it for a week is Renee Ritchie. And he's the, uh, I mean, Renee, you've got so many titles here. You've got editor-in-chief of <laughs> iMore. You host your own vlog called Vector. I've, I've been following you for many, many years now. Great insight into great Apple products. Not, not only Apple, but I mean, you, you, you tend to have that focus there as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for being here. You also happen to be a neighbor of mine. Renee lives yes. like you know, blocks away from me, Mitchell, and we've never actually met. So this is our, our first introduction. So Renee, tell me something. First of all, we've got to dive into this MacBook Pro experience right off the bat. Everybody's been concerned about, is it going to grow too hot? Is the thermal, is everything fixed? How's the keyboard? Give me your, your, your quick summary of this, this one. So I would say that they checked off almost everything on my wish list, a.k.a. my fix list. There's a couple <laughs> small exceptions, but they fixed the thermals. I mean, the thermals were already good for burst workloads. They're good for sustained workloads now as well. Uh, and the keyboard, which is something that regardless of how you feel about how it felt, like how, how just the tactility of it, the failure rates were uh, anecdotally higher than anything we'd seen before, and they've gone back to scissor switches, but sort of elevated them to be magic keyboard style. So I'm I'm pretty happy with it. Yeah, Renee. I mean, we're, we we see something with this computer. This MacBook Pro 16 inch represents something very new to me, and I'd like to get your take on this as well. It represents. Apple responding, directly responding to its user base, which is something, I know this is going to sound crazy because everyone thinks, you know, Apple makes products for the people. Yes, but they make products for themselves that people never knew they wanted until they come out. That's always been their MO. Now they find themselves actually reacting in the market because there were complaints about what's the point of having an i9 if, I, if it's throttled? What's the point of having this if I can't use it for this amount of time? So is this kind of, is this a new, gentler, kinder Apple that we're seeing where they actually listen. So I think a couple things happen. I think one, Apple has a lot of strong opinions. And for example, they don't mind running chips at the thermal limits. Obviously, they would have preferred if Intel went down to 10 nanometers and these chips would run cooler and they didn't have as many cores to make up for the lack of process efficiency. But they decided to thermally manage it. And if it had to redline, they were going to let it redline because it would still benefit people who were doing a a lot of spiky, bursty tasks all at once and not a sustained task. But they, you know, year after year, they thought, you know, maybe next year it'll be fixed, maybe next year. And now it just seems like it's not going to be fixed. So I think they've come to terms with the reality of having to handle a, a bigger thermal load on the MacBooks without making them. Uh, sometimes people just say make them big. But if you buy one of those big thermally unconstrained gaming computers and you unplug it, not only does it start massively throttling down the thermals, but it gets about an hour of battery life. So right. I think they're trying to find a good balance right now. Are you primarily a laptop user or desktop user? How, what do you work on normally? I was I was using iMacs more, but because I have to travel for events and I'm doing a lot more video now, I have to take Final Cut Pro with me. And the minute that happened, I shifted from the MacBook Air to the 13-inch MacBook Pro to the 15-inch MacBook Pro very quickly. So are you do you, are you going to be someone who's going to go out and buy the 16-inch? Do you think it's worth it? Um, I, I don't know what model you had prior or what generation you had prior, but is this one that you're going to jump on? 
Yeah, I mean, the, the danger, and I use danger in the best way possible, is that Apple is being super aggressive with the high-end MacBook Pros right now. I mean, they put i9s, they put like ninth generation i9s in them, then they updated them with Vega Pro graphics, then they updated them again, and now they've brought it the 16-inch, and that's all in the span of about a year and a half, two years, which is like unprecedented speed for Apple. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort of eye what I think Intel's doing with their 10th generation chips and then leap in when I think I can get the best combination of, of performance and, and power. Yeah, I've been on a a three-year-old laptop, and I, I lease mine just because it's a bit easier. Yeah. And so I, I, you know, my lease is coming up in about a month, so I, I definitely jumped on it. And I waited, I waited because I knew obviously it was coming. But you bring up something interesting about the past year and a half with Apple is that, you know, along with listening to consumers just in general, it seems like, and I've seen this being said in interviews with you know Phil Schiller and other people at the company, that they're they're really responding to the criticism they've been getting from the quote-unquote pro market. With the introduction or the tease of the Mac Pro, which we're going to see in people's hands next month, um, and and this device, is that the kind of feeling you get as well? Is that they're actually making it a point to say, hey guys, we are listening to you? I think there's two things that actually factored into this. One is you know, there's that iconic moment where Steve Jobs just slammed the iPad down in front of the Mac team and said, why can't you do this? And that led to the uh, 2011 uh, MacBook Air, which was phenomenally popular. And then Apple, there was a whole new generation of pros coming online who were using Final Cut Pro and Logic and Xcode to do things that used to require thousands and thousands of dollars of equipment. And they started becoming a, the biggest pro market. So Apple wanted to cater that, to them more. And they wanted very different things than traditional pros. They wanted portability with power. But at the same time, you nailed it earlier when you said that, you know, Apple tries to give us what we don't know we want. And they take those big Babe Ruth swings. And a lot of times they connect. But when they do it, they don't know it first. Because every time they change something... Everybody hates it, like especially the hot takes, you know, in the, in the tech press. Everyone says it's garbage, it's trash, and they're like, just try it, try it for a few months. And with things like the Force Touch trackpad, they had great trackpads. Nobody was asking for better trackpads, but they did it, and now they're even better. And the issue is, they did the same thing with the keyboard, and they can't tell it first. They think they're right about both, and they just think that we're being change adverse, and they can't tell when they have a hit like the Force Touch trackpad or when they have a miss like the Butterfly keyboard for too long a period of time because they're still waiting for us to come around and never realize we, we wanted it. Yeah, it's like one of these situations where they're almost damned if you do and damned if you don't, and it, it does it, it takes some time to get through all the bad press that's inevitably going to be there. You know, it's like, it's like you know the iPhone-Android type battle, you yes. know? Android people are always going to bash iPhone, and Andro- iPhone people are always going to bash Android. And in the end, you know, something's going to happen. It's going to balance out, and people are going to going to kind of be into it. Go ahead, Mitchell. You, you know what? I, I, I have this. I have this little theory. Again, I want to. I want to get everyone's take. I'd love to get Renee's take on this. Um, Apple, over the last several years, and we've talked about this with the release of multiple different versions, different iterations of the same computer, changing over from the Mac, the MacBook, and you know, coming away from the MacBook, going back to the Air, going to the MacBook Pro. Here's my theory. Uh, in order to not cannibalize their own product line, because I still think the new MacBook or the latest version of the MacBook Air is kind of brilliant in terms of price point and performance, what you get for that price point, okay? And they're going to have a hard time matching that with other computer lines. So here's my theory, and I want to know what you think, Renee. Eventually, the, the the smaller MacBook Pro, the 13-inch, will cease to be, and they will move that up to a 14-inch, almost stretching edge-to-edge edge like they've done with the 15- to 16-inch, so that basically in the Pro line, we'll have a 14 and a 16, and the 13 baseline will just be the MacBook Air. What do you think? Am I crazy? Well, I shouldn't say am I crazy or not. In this particular instance, am I crazy or not? 
No, I think that's very apt. I think, you know, the Apple in the past has introduced new features of the 15 inch and then rolled them out to the 13 inch after. It's been the rarer occasions when they've done both at the same time. What I think would be super interesting is exactly what you said. We get the 14 inch MacBook Pro, but I would also love to see a 13 and even 15 inch MacBook Air because I think there is a segment of people mm. who don't need, the, you know, like they're entrepreneurs, they're executives, they just don't need the power of a 15 inch MacBook Pro. But you know, none of us are getting any younger, and maybe they really just want the size. Well, you know what? You know, you're right, and I think there are there are holes in the. It's it's strange to say this. That there are holes in the Apple lineup because they have so many. They put out so many different products, and are, I think are trying to feel out their consumer base and what sticks. Kind of the flypaper theory, which we're not used to seeing with Apple. But if we go to the desktop side, and of course, a part of me wonders if their desktop business eventually will go the way of the dodo, because that seems to be what they're leaning toward now. On the desktop side, there's this very large hole in the middle. If you want to get an inexpensive computer, of course you have the the mini of course they yes. stopped putting a graphics chip in that mini so if you want a graphics chip the next way to go is the the iMac but if you don't want a dedicated computer built inside of a chassis with a monitor you basically have a couple of choices you have the Mac mini and then you have the Mac Pro yeah. uh is there do you see them filling that gap in the middle anytime soon because it's kind of sad that if you're a computer if you're a computer owner that wants to have a desktop and computer and you don't want a monitor built in that's a huge gap between those two product lines, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, like, I like to think of it that every every company's greatest strength is also their greatest weakness. And with Apple's right. culture is they have very few people on very few teams working on very few products that they hope will appeal to the most people possible. And you said it before, like the, the MacBooks are so popular, they dwarf the desktops in terms of popularity. And on the desktops, the iMacs dwarf everything else in terms of popularity. And it's expensive to make a product for very few people, which is why I think, you know, the MacBook Pro and, and the Mac Mini didn't get the attention they deserved for many years. And I think it would be wonderful to have that mythical Mac X. You know, everybody's been wanting that X Mac or Mac X right in the middle, the small tower. And I really hope yep. they do that one day. I just don't know if they have the resources and the will to actually push it out. It's kind of like that a dream of having, you know, a touch a touch version of, of Mac OS X, you know? Will that one oh. day come to fruition? I think probably one day we'll see some kind of evolution of it, right? It's hard because, you know, when Microsoft Microsoft's mobile efforts failed and they were forced to bring Windows to the modern era, and that meant making it touch-friendly. And that took years. Like, we had to suffer through Windows 8 and Windows, sorry, Windows 7 <laughs> and Windows 8 to get to Windows 10. It was like three years of an ordeal. And even now, if you dig too far into it, you still get to those horrible settings panels. And I, Apple would have to do a similar thing, but they have one of the world's most successful mobile operating systems. Yeah. And making engineers take the time to duplicate that functionality is, is bad resource management. So what I'm hoping is... After iOS and after OS 10, there'll probably be something else. And I'm hoping that something else won't be so fussy about what it's on. It'll just understand what's plugged into it and give you the right sort of interface for that kind of stuff. So do you think that we're, we're kind of baked for the holiday season now with Apple? I know they have gotten a, an app event coming up next week, but product-wise, hardware-wise, we're probably baked for the holiday season, right? Yeah, I mean, we got we got the um, the iPhone 11 battery cases yesterday, which to me always signals the beginning of the holiday season when those come out. Um, and we have the Mac Pro, which they've said is coming in December. So I think that that is going to be sort of the swan song for the year. And when Apple says December, I just imagine New Year's Eve. That's just how I put it on my calendar. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, they'd be correct. Renee, I want to I want to you know point people out, uh, point people to your YouTube channel, YouTube.com/slash/vector. Um, you just posted a video, a Pixel 4 one month review uh, from the iPhone expert. Can you give us a quick synopsis of what you're talking about there? 
Yeah, so I think Google has a unique challenge with the Pixel 4 in that, you know, they have so many different masters that they have to serve with this. And on one hand, they made the Pixel so that their employees would dog food it. They would get their employees off of iPhones onto Pixels and they'd work on Android more. But at the same time, they want to make a consumer product. So they're busy throwing notches and screens on so they can test those for other vendors, but they're trying to make a product that consumers are going to want to buy. And this year, the small one especially, they just, the battery is so bad that no matter what you think of the Pixel, whether you think it's a beautiful showcase for Google services or a horrible data harvesting machine, it doesn't have the battery life to do either of those things well. So I'm hoping like Google just pauses and takes a breath and really leans into what they do well and decides to make just a, a great phone for consumers and then make it so good that their internal people want to use it rather than it being something that they have to use. Yeah, that makes total sense. Renee Ritchie, uh, executive editor of Mobile Nations, editor-in-chief of iMore, the host of Vector. Thank you so much for being here. Are you going to be at CES this year? I almost always am. I try to escape every year, and then somehow I get pulled back in. <laughs> well, you know what? Hopefully we'll meet up there and meet in person. I look forward to maybe uh, bumping into you at the grocery store sometime soon. Likewise. Renee Ritchie, you can check him out Thank on so youtube.com slash vector and check out imore.com as no, well. My pleasure. It is your check report. So he is Mitchell Whitfield. I am Mark Aflalo. Thank you for following along with us yep. on all our social media. It's at your tech report. Let's take a quick break okay, and we great. will come Thank back, Mitchell, so and wrap up the show. There's more your tech report after this. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.